The following is a production of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary and is made possible by the generous financial support of our listeners and friends. For more information about the seminary, how you can support it, or applying to become a student, please visit gpts.edu. Hello and welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. My name is Zach Groff. I'm the Director of Advancement and Admissions here at the seminary, as well as the host for the podcast. And with me in the studio today, I have Dr. Michael Morales. Dr. Morales, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Dr. Morales serves as Professor of Biblical Studies here at Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary, a position which he has held since 2014. He's a teaching elder in the Presbyterian Church in America, and he's pastored churches in Tennessee and his home state of Florida. He's the author of several books, the latest of which is our focus on today's podcast. His new book, recently published as part of InterVarsity Press Academics' Essential Studies in Biblical Theology series, is entitled Exodus Old and New, A Biblical Theology of Redemption. In the book, Dr. Morales examines the key elements and movements of three major redemption accounts in Scripture, the Exodus out of Egypt, the second Exodus foretold by the prophets, and the new Exodus accomplished by Christ Jesus. Dr. Morales, before we dive into a brief discussion of the content of the book, something I like to do with um, authors who come onto the podcast is to explore some of the the, the different um, background to the writing of a particular book. Can you tell us very briefly the theological aim of the Essential Studies in Biblical Theology series? Sure, Zach. The ESBT series is different than other biblical theological series because it's supposed to be closed, so not an ongoing series with um, volumes that just keep coming out. It, the aim is really to get something like the top 10 or so uh, main biblical theological themes in Scripture uh, at a lay level so that reading through them all, um, God's people can have a really comprehensive uh, view of the scriptural story. And the general editor for the series is Dr. Ben Glad down at RTS Jackson, who invited you to contribute this particular volume. That's right. So how does your book fit into the series then in accomplishing the purpose that you've just outlined? Well, the Exodus theme is one of the major themes that run through Scripture. In fact, I would probably argue that it is the main theme. It's so comprehensive. It's, you know, as you know, the, the great... Um, redemptive event in the Old Testament when God's people end up in exile again. It's you know prophesied that there'll be a new exodus, and then in many ways the New Testament presents the person and work of Christ in light of that pattern of redemption that we see in the exodus theme, and it certainly goes from Genesis through Revelation. And so your book is not about merely the book of Exodus, but rather it's exploring the theme of Exodus as it's shot through all of Scripture. Yes, that's an important point. Uh, there has been confusion, I think, uh, where others have thought maybe I was doing something like a, a commentary on the book of Exodus. No, this is the motif and the way it runs throughout Scripture. So I'm not going chapter by chapter throughout the book of Exodus by any means. Now, did you have any other aims, purposes, or even motivations in writing the book? Well, I think they would be in line with the series, but really to give God's people a greater grasp of the unity of Scripture, uh, especially uh, how it uh, culminates with the work of Christ. And for me, as I began working through the book, uh, 
really it seemed evident from the beginning that all roads converged on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so uh, that was a great source of joy and comfort to me. And that really became uh, one of my personal aims was to minister to God's people. Uh, something of that joy and hope that we have in the resurrection of Christ and really how his resurrection from the dead is the remedy and answer to all the problems that God's people face today. You've mentioned that you, that this book is intended for God's people, and as we consider your intended audience then, uh, how can we drill down on that a bit more particularly? Is it for pastors and seminarians or academics or uh, for the person sitting in the pew? Uh, who exactly is your intended audience? The series is aimed for the church to be uh, lay level, However, that, that's accomplished in varying degrees, and uh, I hope that it will be very useful um, to lay-level people to the church broadly. I think it would also work well in college or seminary environment. You know, it's low on footnotes. Um, the, the aim is to write clearly, and so, Lord willing, it will be useful to the interested uh, lay-level reader. Do you think that this book would be appropriate for use even in a Sunday school classroom setting or a discipleship setting, or maybe if there was a Bible institute in housed within a local church? And so I'm not talking about, you know, uh, a seminary or a Bible college, but church-based uh, programs and curriculum. Do you think that this book would be helpful to, to populate some of those kinds of, uh, those kinds of programs? Yes, I hope so. In fact, some of the chapters stem from material that I actually used in Sunday school. And uh, I don't think I complicated uh, the material in writing. I hope I, I more than anything clarified. And so I think it would work well uh, with something like S Sunday school or a reading group. My impression of your writing uh, from other books I've read uh, by you, the, the Leviticus book and, and even some of your more academic writing is you do have a penchant for very clear writing that's useful even in, especially in Sunday school uh, context. It's not that it's simple or, or, over, or simplistic, I should say. It's not that it's, you know, talking down, but it is very clear and it's useful for opening up the riches of biblical theology for uh, popular level audiences, I guess is what I would say. So I would commend this book, even just from my, my brief examination of it, to this point, it having come out right as I was starting my semester and beginning other reading that you, among others, have assigned <laughs> to me, but um, I would recommend it to our listeners. So now digging into the actual content of the book, we've already noted the three major biblical accounts of God's redemption of his people, which you examine in Exodus Old and New. The Exodus out of Egypt, the prophesied second Exodus foretold by the Old Testament prophets, and then the new Exodus accomplished in, through, and by Christ. These three movements lend an obvious structure to your book, and that's even represented in your table of contents. It helps to keep the material organized and then also digestible for your audience. But you could have gone in a number of other directions. Why did you choose to unpack a biblical theology of redemption by focusing on these particular events? Really, Zach, I was wanting to follow uh, the movement of the canon itself. And so broadly from the Torah to the prophets, uh, obviously I didn't develop much in the writings, and then moving into the New Testament. So, you know, one of the, the forms of unity is history itself. Uh, that, that's one of the main lines of unity in the canon. And so I was following those three major movements of, of history. And it's true, there are other avenues that I could have chosen, 
Um, we mentioned before that you know I'm not looking at the Exodus book per se, but the Exodus motif. And so one approach would be to look at that Exodus motif for every book in uh, the Bible, which of course would have taken many volumes. Uh, that's a, a popular approach, and I think it's very useful. Would have been very fun. So you can buy, for example, a book on the Exodus motif in Romans or the Exodus motif in Esther. And uh, but I didn't think that would fulfill uh, the aims of the series itself, working from Genesis to Revelation. The, the publisher was very kind to allow me uh, an extension of word count. So it, really, I needed to just cut back. And the simplest way to, to give a brief overview of the canon uh, was to just look at those three movements. But I do offer one chapter in the beginning on the Exodus motif in the life of Abraham that I hope is useful and tried to show that even before the Exodus event, we see these motifs that Abraham can be said to have something of a, an Exodus-shaped uh, life. And so that is, is kind of just given as a token to what could be done with some of these other books and stories in the Bible. As we dig into the motif itself, what are the major themes of the Exodus out of Egypt that then find expression in both the second Exodus in the prophets and the new Exodus in Christ? Specifically, what thematic or even textual parallels do you find particularly compelling? Well, there's a large variety of, of different aspects to the Exodus motif. That's another thing I explained early in the book is when we think about the Exodus movement, um, Comprehensively, it involves more than just the exodus out of Egypt, but the wilderness traditions, even the entry into the land. So really, the first exodus pattern is out of Egypt all the way into the promised land, and it culminates with uh, Solomon's temple. So we're almost looking at Genesis through uh, Second Kings. Uh, but speaking of the exodus proper, just the, the, the exit out of Egypt, you know, the main glorious theme of the exodus out of Egypt is uh, the knowledge of Yahweh, how the way that he delivered his people brings glory to his name. And we see that coming up uh, in the prophets, like Ezekiel, for example, has very similar statements scattered throughout um, his prophecies that when God acts again uh, in redemption anew, that it will lead to a greater knowledge of the Lord. Uh, so that would be a theme, uh, the, the deliverance out of exile. So we know, again, that Israel wound up back in exile. So it was in God's wisdom that he orchestrated events for Israel to wind up down in Egypt and then deliver them from exile as the great pattern, and even the pattern for his deliverance of the nations out of exile. So ultimately, the, the true exodus, the definitive exodus, will lead us out of exile as in separation from God, and um, we see that reiterated in the New Testament as well. Uh, there's other motifs, like the fact that the Lord uses a shepherd to bring his people out. So obviously he used Moses. Interestingly, he encountered Moses while he was shepherding sheep. Uh, he eventually raised up David as the shepherd over his people. And for the second Exodus prophesied, uh, we find out that the new Moses will be a new David. Uh, and again, this we find scattered throughout the prophets. Uh, Ezekiel's uh, one of the obvious ones. Uh, but also, uh, the fact that this deliverance is a redemption. So Passover is a huge theme. You know, without the Passover, the deliverance out of Egypt would have just been reduced to a political release. But through the Passover, through the shedding of blood, uh, the whole theology becomes a ransoming from death. And in fact, God refers to Israel as his firstborn. You know, he tells through Moses to Pharaoh, 
you know, Israel is my son, my firstborn son, let my son go. And so we can look at the exodus out of Egypt as the redemption of God's firstborn son from death. And that's a, uh, an idea, of course, that culminates with the resurrection of God's uh, true and eternal son, the Lord Jesus Christ, from death. So a lot of these motifs get reiterated by the prophets and then taken up uh, by Christ in the New Testament. And I know in your book, you, you already mentioned that you didn't spend a whole lot of time in the writings or in, in the uh, what we might call the poetic books, such as the Psalms. But even this morning, I'm going through McShane's reading plan, and today being September 25th when we're recording this message, uh, I went through Psalm 77. And Psalm 77 is a psalm of Asaph. It's, it's written uh, supposedly, I think, in, uh, during exile. Uh, but the event that, that he looks back to in crying out to God and then communicating his trust in the Lord, his Redeemer, the event he looks back to is the separating of the waters at the Red Sea and the exodus out of Egypt. And it, Psalm 77 even closes, if I'm remembering correctly from just a few hours ago, with a, a, a direct reference to Moses and Aaron by whom the Lord led his people out of Egypt. And so you see, you see this theme come again and again, whether the people of Israel are, uh, are in, slave, in bondage and slavery in Egypt, looking forward to being saved by God and crying out to him and him responding, or they're in exile in Babylon, or they're, um, they're in darkness in their sins, and then the light of, of the world comes in. And that brings me to, I guess, my next question. You've already alluded to this somewhat. How does John's gospel in particular serve as a storehouse of material for cultivating an appreciation for the new exodus? I am always just filled with wonder whenever I approach the gospel of John. It's so rich. There's so many layers, uh, so many themes, and in many ways, John's Gospels is like the New Testament Genesis, but in other ways, it's the New Exodus. And um, you know, one example would be the way that Christ is introduced uh, to his public ministry. So you have these, what I would call Passover bookends in the Gospel of John. Other scholars have used that similar terminology, but he's introduced in the first chapter twice as the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God who'll take away the sins of the world. And you know, although uh, even that title, Lamb of God, is rich uh, in imagery and in layers. So we also think about uh, Genesis 22 and the near sacrifice of Isaac. But predominantly, we have the Passover lamb in mind. And on the other end of the gospel in chapter 19, uh, when he's crucified, John alone, out of all the gospel writers, gives us the detail that Jesus' legs were not broken because he had already died, but he tells us this was to fulfill the legislation that not one of his bones would be broken, which takes us back to the Passover regulations that as they slay the lamb and, and roast it in fire and eat it, they're not to allow for any of its bones to be broken. And so when John introduces Jesus as Lamb of God, he's, he's putting that label on him, and that's Jesus represents Lamb of God then throughout the, entire, the entirety of the gospel. So that's one example. There, there's also the rich imagery with the resurrection. I mentioned in the book some details that show us uh, he, he has in mind the idea of a restoration to paradise with God. Um, he alone, again, of all the gospel writers, mentions at the end of Jesus' life uh, the setting of the garden, demonstrating, I think, the theology of the resurrection, that, that Jesus is bringing his people out of exile back into paradise uh, with God and uh, I have a whole chapter dedicated just also to the role of the Spirit 
uh, in the New Exodus and John's Gospel. So it, it really is a rich theme that, that John's Gospel explores and develops and really brings us to the height of um, Trinitarianism and, and Christology. Finally, and, and, and I know this has been a short interview by comparison to some of the other ones, but I want people to be motivated to get your book, especially before the end of the month, uh, assuming that InterVarsity Press is still running a special deal on, uh, on this book in recognition of uh, Hispanic Heritage Month, um, you being, I guess, one of their Hispanic authors, <laughs> of course. But uh, so this is my last question for you. Finally, what difference ought a close examination of the theme of redemption as expressed in these three Exodus movements have on Christian living? And especially according to the Apostle Paul, as you develop uh, epistolary literature uh, toward in the final chapters of your book. I refer to him as the Apostle of the Resurrection, and working on that chapter was a great uh, inspiration and, and delight to me. And again, it just ministered to my own soul and working through the material it made me realize afresh how central to Paul's thinking the resurrection of Christ was. Of course, uh, along the road to Damascus, he encountered the risen Christ, and, and that changed everything for him. But he himself tells the church at Corinth, if Christ is not risen, your faith is worthless, and you're still in your sins. Uh, but through the resurrection, because it is a reality, God's people, he is always uh, noting specifically the word hope. It's the great hope that um, Israel's ancestors had in the Old Covenant, and it's the great hope that we have now through the assurance that Christ indeed has been raised, and it's a great comfort in the face of death. In fact, Paul says in his letter to the Philippians that to die is gain. Uh, it relates to every aspect of his theology. So in terms of sanctification, you know, we're united with Christ, so we are raised up with Christ, Ephesians 2 but we're also called to die with Christ, to put to death more deeply um, our old sinful flesh, to mortify the flesh. And so Paul will even boast in the cross at the end of Galatians because he says uh, the cross is that mechanism by which the world is crucified to him and him to the world. And all of this is for the sake of uh, bolstering his resurrection hope. Uh, so again, in his letter to the Philippians, he talks about himself being conformed to Christ's death if by any means he might attain to the resurrection of the dead. And that really is the key, that the resurrection of the dead is, is the remedy to all the problems that God's people face in this life. And it's an important reminder. Um, you know, In this life, we are to be crucified with Christ and to die to this world and to our sinful desires and flesh, but we have this unshakable hope. And in fact, through the power of resurrection, we're enabled to put to death the deeds of the flesh, but it also reminds us that, you know, this life is full of suffering, that our ultimate hope uh, is not for this age, but it's to be raised up bodily with Christ and to enjoy everlasting life in a new creation. That's when we'll really experience uh, the true, uh, the culminating uh, exodus. And so from beginning to end in Paul's theology, all of his admonitions to, to Christians to suffer well and to be willing to suffer with Christ so, so as to be raised up in glory. Uh, it really seems to be uh, the North Star of his pastoral counsel. And again, for me, uh, these were important reminders for my own uh, soul as well. And so I hope it'll be a blessing to God's people. 
Thank you, Dr. Morales. Again, we've been speaking with Dr. Michael Morales of Greenville Seminary here in South Carolina about his latest book, Exodus Old and New, A Biblical Theology of Redemption, published as part of InterVarsity Press Academics, Essential Studies in Biblical Theology series. But don't let the academic word scare you away. This book is intended for um, serious-minded, lay-level audiences and would be a great resource to you pastors listening for Sunday school curricula or even just uh, as a resource for your own preaching and for putting in the hands of of people in your church who, um, I hate using the phrase, but want to go a bit deeper into various themes and motifs of, uh, of the scriptures. Dr. Morales, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Zach. Thank you for listening to this edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. To help ensure that we can continue to produce content from a Reformed and Confessional Presbyterian perspective, please consider making a gift of support in any amount at gpts.edu donate. For more information about Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary, please visit gpts.edu.